Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you, Lord, thanking you for this Thanksgiving season, Lord, where we can just reflect on your goodness and how you have provided for us so much. And Lord, during this week, I know so many will be traveling and so many will be, you know, doing different things, preparing for family to come in. And Lord, I pray that we will not forget, Lord, who is the one that has given us all things. Lord, that we will truly set aside some time to give you thanks. Father, I pray that you just watch over those who are traveling and uh, just provide for us, Lord, a, a safe week. Um, Lord, for all the things that we have mentioned as far as the announcement, Lord, we pray that, uh, Lord, you would just lead us and guide us in those things. Lord, we truly desire to worship you as a body, as a church. And so, Lord, we bless you now this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to dismiss the kids. They may go to their classrooms, and I get to hang out with the big kids. And uh, you're laughing now, but you won't be laughing in a minute. Here's why. I'm titling this message, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Don't Be a Big Baby. (laughs) And I think I'm going to get in trouble for this one. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. You know, yesterday, by the way, let me say this. I, I, I like to have fun, you know, and uh, I, I think I can be a big baby at times. Um, yesterday, I went to, to Office Max, uh, Office Depot to buy some stuff, some supplies for the church. And when I was checking out, this guy at the, you know, the register, he was doing his thing and kind of just busy. And there was a, a little poster, you know, those wanted, you know, Crime Stoppers wanted posters right above his head. And so while he was checking, checking me out, as soon as he gave me the receipt, I said, wow, why do you have my picture on that poster? And I turned around really quick, and he kind of looked up, and, you know, he's like, you don't know if to say, stop, freeze, you know? And uh, I, was, I just had a real kick out of that. So I, I, I am the big baby. <laughs> But 1 Corinthians chapter 3, well, if we will pick up last week, Paul talked about, well, he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, he said, but I, as as it was, as, uh, as it is written, I have not seen, no ears have heard, nor have it entered in the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. You know, when you read this verse, something happens in your heart. If you are a believer, your heart begins to, well, what is this thing? And I want whatever this thing is uh, that that God has for for you. And and you have this longing. And, And what I believe Paul is doing, again, he's writing to the Corinthian church, which is a a church that has a lot of problems. And he's thrown out, in a sense, a bait, you know. He's throwing it out that, that, man, what is Paul talking about? Whatever it is that he's talking about, I, I want it. And he, you know, in a sense says, but you are the one that's spiritual. You, you know, you, you, are the, you know, you are God's people. And, and so God has shown you and he revealed these things to you. Again, he's, he's drawing them in. It's kind of like a bait and switch, you know. He's going to hit them with an uppercut, you know, but he's drawing them in. And so 
when you look at chapter 2, it, it, it ties right into chapter 3. We have these chapter breaks, and, and oftentimes we forget that it's all connected. But again, Paul, as he is drawing them in, he's going to touch on a subject that we need to pay very careful of because we can fall into the same thing that the Corinthian church are doing. You know, in the previous chapter, really, Paul introduces us to two, two types of people. There's the worldly person, which is the, well, the natural man. The natural man really don't care anything about the spirit, uh, the things of God. Don't, it, he's not interested in it. And then Paul, again, talks about the spiritual man, the, the man who is born again, born of the spirit, born of God. And that's what we are. We're born of God. We're born of the Spirit. But in this chapter, Paul is going to introduce to us a third person. And really, it's really the person in the church, but he's going to separate now, divide the two different types of people in the church. The first person, again, worldly. The second person, spiritual. But then the third, he's going to talk about the carnal man. Now, the carnal man is a man that's stuck between spiritual desire and spiritual things and worldly things. You see, I went to the bank not too, well, a week ago, and uh, there in the bank, uh, this guy was in front of me. He was talking to the lady there, and he, was try he had, I don't know if it was a check or whatever he had, some letter in his hands. And he's talking to the lady saying, hey, I, you know, I, I, and I, I believe it was somewhere that this letter was telling him if he sends in $2,000, he will get $2 million. You ever saw those? And, and, and he is talking to this teller there, and, and, and she is telling him it's a scam. And, and he is still trying to convince her, no, this is, this is good. And, and his heart is so desiring this $2 million, so he's willing to give this $2,000 or so. And after the the lady there tell him, you know, it's a scam. Be very careful. I saw him leave that bank, and his heart was broken, man, and he's looking at the paper. I wonder if he went to another bank. <laughs> you know, but here it is. It's in a sense, you know, we are spiritual, and God wants what's best for us. The, the devil, the world is going to tell us, no, come over here. Here's the thing that you, you, you need and you want, and we're, we're, we're hearing God and saying, we're hearing him saying, don't go for it. It's a scam. But a lot of times we're looking back to the world. We want to go back to the world. Paul, in chapter 3, verse 1, he says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual because, uh, excuse me, as spiritual people, but as carnal, as babes in Christ. You know, again, when we think about a carnal person, a worldly person, you know, the, the, the worst things come to our mind, you know, Sexual immorality, you know, murder and, 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 and just kind of really out there things. But when we see what Paul would says or what, what he will describe as a carnal person, yes, it's those things I mentioned, but, man, it sometimes it's the very things that we are doing and we don't even realize. Paul says uh, that they are carnal. The Corinthian church is carnal. It's a fleshly, a sensual person. It's, again, someone who's opposed to growing, really, in spiritual things. But he talks about the carnal person as a babe in Christ, a babe. You ever notice how babies are? 
You know, if you, if you don't have any baby, you have no idea what it is to raise a child. Some people think, oh, I just, I just want to have a child. No, you don't. <laughs> they will torture you. And they will make you smile, but they, you don't know they're manipulating you. Babes is what Paul is calling them. You know, I think babies think that they are masters. From the time they're born, if you think about it, you're cleaning them, you're feeding them. They make a mess, you just go clean up after them. You know, they cry and you come running, you know. Yes, master. And so they think they're king in the house, you know. And you can't do anything but serve them. One of the worst things you can do to a baby is tell them no. No, 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 ah! you know, they fall and have a fit. They, man, and they know when to do it. It's usually in publics, you know, in public places, you know. Why? Because they know if they cry and humiliate you, you will give in. I want that. No. Ah! Okay, here, here. You know, and other people are watching you and they're thinking, I can spank that child for you. That's what I'll do. Listen, don't spank anyone else's child, okay? Just yours. <laughs> and then at night, oh, the nighttime, 2 o'clock in the morning. You know, I remember the first couple months of being a dad. You live like a zombie. <laughs> our, our daughter, Hannah, she had colic. And so uh, at 6 o'clock every evening, she would start crying uncontrollably. For, from 6 o'clock to 11 o'clock. And what we did, Gigi and I, we just took shifts, just shaking her and, you know, trying to calm her down every night for about three months. And so after that, we were just really tired. And because of that, she got really attached to us. And, you know, you get so sleep-deprived, you get so tired that, well, when, you, when it's time for bed, you just crawl in bed and, and you just, you know, I don't care if I roll over and I'm going to bed, you know. And so she got used to being in our bed, and we, th we thought, you know, we need to get her out. And so we got her into our crib, and boy, you know, you, you lay there, you know, you try to rock her to bed, and, and she falls asleep, and you think, okay, let me, let me tiptoe out of here, you know. And as soon as you hear that, Shh, ah, you know, and it's like, oh, you sleep on the side of the crib, you know. <laughs> you got to tiptoe, because why? Man, babes. But here's the, the one that I think we all can agree on. They're cute. They're lovable. They're, they're, they're charming, and they make you smile. And they do the silliest things and, and make you happy. You know, even when they burp, you like that. Oh, it's so cute. The, the, they, they, they pass gas, you know. You laugh. As a baby, it's funny. And they suck in their pacify. Everything you think is cute. But it only works when it's a baby. See, when you become, well, you have a 15-year-old child, and now he's burping at the, the table. It's not that cute, especially when you have guests in the house. Or, or a 50-year-old man, and now he's, he's, he's passing gas in the elevator. It's not cute anymore. <laughs> Some of you can relate. Your mom is telling you, stop it. It's time to grow up. Paul is calling them babes. He says in verse 2, I, I feed you, I fed you with milk, not with solid food, 
For until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. You see, Paul, two years prior to him writing this letter, he, he, he started the Corinthian church, he planted it, he went away, and he was hoping that by this time that they would be mature, that they will, he would be able to come and share with them the deep things of the Word of God. But Paul is saying, these guys are still carnal, that I have to tippy-toe, you know? I, I can't share with them deep things because what? they will get offended. They, they will, you know, they, they won't be able to handle it. And so instead of giving them meat and potatoes, I still have to feed them from a bottle. Let me say this, by the way. I love our church because I, I, I can go through the word verse by verse, and I, I, I can share everything, and you guys won't get offended, right? I, I, well, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm wheeling you, and I'm setting you up. He says in verse 3, the second half of verse 3, 4, uh, where there is envy, strife, and division among you, are you not carnal and behaving like what? Mere men? Where there's envy and strife and division. You see, envy, strife, and division, we don't think of as carnality. But Paul says it is. Where, where there's fights and, and strife among us. Notice the pro, pro, progression Envy, when, when you, you kind of, you know, well, I, I'm jealous of that other ministry. You know, look at, look at what they're doing, and, and, and they have more than us. Or, or, or that person in a certain ministry, why, are they, why did you choose them and not me? Why, why are you doing that? That's, that's called envy. And, and from envy, it leads to strife. Now you're going and causing, you know, well, whispering. Well, do you see what they're doing? And, and, and I can't believe they're doing this or they're not doing this. And, and now you're causing strife. You need to be on my side. And then it leads to what? Division. Division in the church. You know, turning one person or one group against another. Paul says, listen, this is carnality. That's the way the world does things, but it should not be so in the church. He says in verse 4, For when one say, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? You know, again, we, we, we have a way of just being blinded about our own sin. And I want to throw this out. I'm going to throw this out, and if you get hit, then maybe you need to get hit. I, I, am a, I am a Baptist. I am a Presbyterian. I am a, I am a Catholic. I am, well, I am of Chuck. I am a Calvary Chapel. Oh, don't you know who we are, verse by versers? What are we doing? You see, it's a way of puffing ourselves up and, and separating ourselves. And Paul said it's carnal. Let's not do that. Let's not get caught up with that. You know, every now and then I will mention and I will kind of, you know, pick on a, a, a church or pick on, and I, I do want to confess and I do want to apologize if I, if I participate in that. You see, I, when I study the word, I allow the, the, the word to knock on my own heart, convict my soul and my, my spirit, and I, I pray that you will allow it to do the same. You see, I remember in Luke chapter 9, verse 49, Jesus went around, of course, doing ministry, and his disciples, uh, they saw a group of, of, of other people, this guy really, uh, casting out demons, doing ministry. 
And Jesus' disciples came and said, Jesus, what should we do? Should we stop him because he's not one of us? And Jesus said to him, do not forbid him, for he who is not against us is for us. He who is not against us is for us. And so if they're doing the work, you may not agree with it. You may not like their style. But it doesn't mean that we need to divide over it. And we need to be careful because we so easily drop, oh, yeah, that church over there is doing that. Could you believe? Ha, ha, ha. Listen, it's carnality. I think instead of going around pointing at everybody else's ministry, you need to point to our ministry and use our energy instead of dividing. Well, how can we build? Lord, how can we minister to the lost? How can we reach them? How can we uh, touch the, the herd and, and encourage them? That's where our energy is supposed to be. And what I find is that when we're so busy looking at, at everybody else, it causes division and strife and, 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 and things that's really ungodly instead of building the kingdom. That's where we're supposed to use our energy. Notice what he says in verse 5. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believe as the Lord gave to each one. You see, God gives each person a different ministry, a different role in ministry. And he says here, he gives two groups. He says some plant and some water. You know, the, the planter is a lot of a, like an evangelist. You know, someone who, who has the heart to really go out and, and, and share, uh, you know, uh, reach the lost for Christ. And if, if you have the heart of an of a evangelist, of a planter, what you'll find is that, well, you're walking around with tracks. And when you go to work, you have your Bible there on the table. You're trying to, to get people to, to get in conversation so you can share Christ with them. That's someone who plants. But there's one who waters. The, the one who waters is more of a discipler who will say, you know, come sit down. Let me study the Bible with you. Let me share truth with you. And, and there's two, again, in the church, it, it works hand in hand. You can't have one without the other. But what happens is that uh, some people, they separate themselves from the two groups, and they say, well, I'm not a planter, I'm not a waterer, I'm just a fruit inspector. I want to inspect fruit. Uh, what are you doing? You're watering? Well, that's not how you water. And, and you're, 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 you're um, you know, planting? Well, that's not how you plant. You're, you're throwing the seeds too far. You're, you're, you're reaching, you know, too many lost people, and we don't like that. I'm a fruit in inspector. You see, what we, we tend to do is contrast those differences instead of embracing them. You know, people who are, are, are planting, praise the Lord that they are planting. And what I find is that people who, are, who plant, they will use some crazy methods sometimes, things that, that I won't do because I'm more of a waterer, more of a disciple, or a planter will take risk. I won't do some of the things, but is it wrong what they're doing? And for the planter, sometimes they will look at me and say, well, you need to do more, uh, you know, you're watering too much. You need to do more planting. You need to plant. You need to sow seed. You need to sow. Well, everyone is called, not called to do the same thing. And we have to be okay with that. And so he says, again, we need to focus more on with things that unite us that 
than things that divide us. He says in verse 7, so that neither we who plant is anything nor we who waters, but God who gives the increase. See, the planters and the waters, Paul will say, are nothing. Uh, and sometimes we, we give credit where credit is not due. In other words, you know, some guy will take God's word, and we call them pastors or evangelists or whatever, and, and they will take God's word and they will read it, and you say, wow. And then what we tend to do is, is give credit to that person like as if they're someone, you know, so-and-so says. Instead of, instead of quoting the Bible, we're quoting that preacher. And we're living in an age of, of celebrity preachers and pastors, and we're elevating man. Paul says, to, he turns to his own people, the, the, the people who are, who are exalting him, and says, you know, really, he rebukes them. Don't do that. Don't exalt me. Don't, don't think I am anything. You know, it's kind of like going to a restaurant, and here comes the waiter bringing out the food and giving you food, and you open it up, and you look at it, it's like, wow, that looks beautiful. You taste it, and say, wow, waiter, you're the, you're the best cook. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank you. No, you, he didn't cook that food. It's the chef in the back. Or I used this illustration before, you know, here comes Christmas, and some of you are going to be ordering things off of Amazon, and how the mailman delivers. <laughs> or the mailwoman in the back, she's raising her hands. And, and they're delivering the, the package, and you open it up and say, wow, man, postman, you're the bomb. You gave me the best gift. No, he's just the deliverer. You know, the person that sent it to you, that's the person that you should be thanking. And, and we have the word of God. And who is the one who gives us the word of God? God himself. He just uses man to be the deliverer of the word. But don't elevate man and put them in a position that they're not supposed to be. Paul said, I am nothing. Apollos is nothing. He says in verse 8, now he who plants and he who waters are one. Now, now, that's important to, to, to understand. While we're dividing and fighting over who is who and who is better, Paul said, Paul, Apollos and, and myself and Peter, we're called to do different ministry, to reach out different people, but understand we're on the same team. We're on the same team. Why are we fighting our own teammates when there's a real enemy? And boy, he's at work. I see him at work trying to cause division among us. You know, well, he says here in the second half of verse 8, and each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. You, you, you're not going to be rewarded for just pointing out all the bad things in people <laughs> causing division. You're only going to be rewarded by God for what you have done that's good. He says in verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. I love this verse because here it is, God's, God is saying, you know, we are called to work for God, but not, not only that, we're called to work with God. We're partners with God in this thing called ministry. Verse 9, again, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, and, and you are God's building. Now, Paul points out two things here I think that's important. We don't realize that when we're working on others, when we're sharing, we're planting or, or watering, whatever it is, while we're doing that work on others, 
that God is working on us. He said that we are his field. You ever notice a field? What, what, what do you have to do to get uh, food or fruit from that field? You have to go and, and, and you know, turn the soil and, and break it up and take out the rocks and take out, uh, you know, the, 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 um, the weeds, you know. And some of you, if you are smoking weeds, let's take that out, you know. Take out the stones. See, God wants to have, have us bear fruit in our lives. And while we're working and we're doing ministry, I find that you grow the most when you're serving others. God is doing a work. When, I, when I'm ministering to others and as soon as I point out and say, man, this is the area you need to work in, guess what? The Lord is saying, well, what about you, Alan? Let's work on that. And, and the Lord is able to do a great work. We are his field, but also we are his building. A building is something that, well, well it, it, we're in a building, and for the last how many, two years, we've been doing, working on renovating this property. And, and for us, many of us, well, for all of us, our lives are a building. It, it's, it's God's building that he is doing a renovation on, and it's, it's a, a construction zone that never ends until we see Christ until we get into heaven. You see, when you're doing renovation, sometimes it's small. It's just maybe putting down carpet and painting a wall, you know, planting some flowers, but some, well, some of us need some major construction. God is coming in there, and he's taking that sledgehammer. He's like, this wall got to go. He's tearing it down, you know, taking out some stuff that you know that needs to go. And you're holding on to it. Lord, no, no, not this. This is my room, man. It gots to go. I want all of it. I want to do a total transformation. You know, Psalm 127, verse 1, this scripture says, Unless the Lord builds the house, the laborer in vain, they labor in vain who builds it. If, if you are building your own house, if you're putting up your own walls, if you're doing what you think is wise, the Lord says, your labor is in vain. You're wasting your time. And some of us, as, as, as soon as the Lord knocks on one wall, and he's like, okay, I'm working on this room. You're putting up another wall. He's like, what are you doing? And now we come and knock it down again, doing some renovation. You know, I believe when we get to heaven, we'll all get to look back at this life. I think God will put, uh, you know, how, this is just me thinking this out, but I'll have a big TV screen, you know, a big movie screen that everyone can see, and he'll replay our lives and he said, let me show you the work. You know that show, Extreme Home Makeover? I think that's what he will be doing, you know. Let me show you Alan's life. Oh, this is how it was. Look at, oh, my, God. oh, it's horrible. And then he said, move that bus, you know. And it's like, ah. Well, that's just my, my, my take on heaven. But verse 10, according to the grace of God, which has given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation and another builds on it. You see, before you can build a house, you need what? A solid foundation. If a, a, if a house is built on a foundation that is not solid, you're going to find that, well, later on in life, you will have cracked walls. You're going to, you're going to, uh, well, um, I remember Lynn and Brian, they shared, a, shared with me when they were in California. They bought their first house, I believe, and, and it was a beautiful house until a couple <laughs> years into it. 
they noticed that it was a big crack. The crack was so big that they could see the sunlight outside. And they, then they found out that the house was built on a landfill. Anyone, house built, anyone building a house in a landfill? <laughs> uh, another property that people like to build a house on is, is on sand. If you go over to the intercoastal, you will find a lot of houses built right there on the sand. And then when the winds come, the waves and the storms, guess what? It crash. But I don't blame them because why? Our government says that we'll take the taxpayers' money and we'll fix it back up. That's our government. Love them. <laughs> but our foundation needs to be solid. And, and he says in the second half of verse 10, but let each one take heed how he builds on it. In other words, not only we're supposed to build on a solid foundation, but also with the material that we're building with, it needs to be good materials. He says in verse 11, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's our foundation. That's who we're supposed to build our life on. You know, I remember growing up when uh, my friend, my best friend and I, we used to sit down and t think about what our life would be in the future. And it was always about, you know, what we're going to get, how much money we're going to make, you know. And, and that was the foundation which we were laying. And thank God he... he took me away from that because that's not a solid foundation. Some people build their foundation on careers or on relationship or having, you know, perfect health. And all of those things are not solid foundation. Why? Because, well, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7 that the foolish man builds his house on the sand. The rain and the wind beats against the house and great is it fall. What? Because the foundation is not right. You see, all the things that is not of the Lord is going to come crumbling if Jesus is not the foundation. Verse 12, he says, Now if anyone builds on the found this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw. Let me pause right there. Notice these building materials. Some of them, well, they are precious stone wood. I mean, precious stones and silver and gold. These, these, these things, when they pass through fire, they will be able to withstand. They, they won't get burned. But wood, hay, uh, straw, and weed. We, we, yeah, people burn weed. But those things are not going to last and the Lord is saying, be careful or, 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 you know, take heed. Pay attention to what you're using to build your life. John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus said this, in this life, here's the promise, you will face tribulation. No one here is exempt from trouble. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. The difference between the spiritual man and the carnal man is that when the rain comes, well, he won't, the, the spiritual man will be able to stand. The carnal man is the one that you often find as broken and, and have no hope. Why? Because their hope is built on these things, on the things of this world. I, I, it just never ceases to amaze me when I look at two different people going through the exact same things and how one responds to the exact same problem that the other one, and one of them is falling apart. Why? The foundation and the materials that he uses to build. Verse 12, uh, verse 13, each one's work will become clear 
for the day will de declare it because it will be revealed by fire and fire will test each one's work or what sort it is. I want you to circle that word. If you notice, it says, for each one work will become clear for the, the day, D-Day, capital D-A-Y. Circle that word day. You see, that day is speaking of the judgment seat of Christ. We refer to it also as the Bema seat judgment. Uh, if you want to write these scriptures down, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, excuse me, uh, well, 1 Corinthians 3.13 is where we are, but Romans chapter 9, uh, excuse me, 14 verse 10, and 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10. All three speaks of this day, D-Day. What is D-Day? Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 10 tells us what it is. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. You see, if, we, if you are a believer, you are going to stand before God one day, and he, you're, in a sense, you're going to give an account for what you have done with what he has given you. How did you serve him? How did you, uh, you know, follow him? And this day is different from the great throne, white throne judgment, which is found in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11 through 15. It's two different days. You see, there's a day for where God would judge those who have died outside of Christ. And their judgment, well, it will in, in, include hell, eternity, separation from God for all eternity. Again, that's different from what we will receive, the, the judgment that we will receive is not for condemnation, but meant for reward. And God will reward us based on what we have done with our life. When I think about the judgment seat of Christ, I, I have a picture in my head, and I, I love thinking about it. You see, because what I see in this judgment seat, imagine all of us, that are in Christ, he will one day, the Bible said, take us up to heaven with him. And what I see is this huge arena, you know, with millions and millions of believers all in, in the stand. And, and here comes Jesus now from, uh, from behind the stage coming to his throne and he sits and everyone is standing up and cheering and, and praising the Lord. And it's millions of people, nothing like what we see in these small stadiums. Praising him, worshiping him. And then he will call, I believe, each one. He will say, where is John? And here comes John coming down. And everybody's thinking, who is John? And as John comes to the front of the, the, the throne, and, and, and the Lord will say, well, let me tell you what John has done. And when, 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 when John saw, oh, he heard of, of this orphan that was there, and John helped them out. And, and let me tell you about, you know, Sarah. And, and Sarah, she was there faithfully praying for, and look how many people got saved because she was praying. And everybody, like, wow, you know. And, and, and now he gives each person a crown for all of the things that they have done. And those crowns, they are so important. Because in heaven, you see, we're going to receive crowns. And the crowns will, will represent two things. One, well, it's going to represent our worship. The Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 4, verse 10, 
when we receive these crowns, you know what we're going to do? We're going to take them and we're going to cast them on the feet of Christ. It will be our worship. Lord, I don't deserve this. It's you deserve it. But not only will we worship him, but I think those crowns represent responsibility. In, Re in Matthew chapter 25, verse 21, he talks about the servants who he gave talents. And he said, go, you know, use these. It says that he gave one five, he gave another one two, he gave another one one. And those were the five and the two. They went and they did something with it and they earned a, a return on their investment in a sense. But there's one who had just had one. And he said, you know what, I'm just going to bury it. I'm not going to do anything with it. And you know what the Lord said? You wicked uh, servant. He called him a wicked servant. But those who who did something with what he has given them, he said, come into the presence, in the joy of your master. And he said, those who have been faithful with little, I will give more. You see, in heaven, it's not, we're not going to sit down in clouds and just, you know, play the harp. No, no. Listen, we're going to be ruling with Christ. He's going to give us responsibility. And based on what you have done, how you live your life, how faithful or, lack, or not faithful you're here, is going to determine what, uh, how you, you serve him in heaven. You don't think it's important now, but you will see how important it is then. He says in verse 16, do, not, do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the spirit of God dwells in you? Now, we are the temple of God. Uh, just like we would say we are the church. Now, we are the church or the temple corporately and individually. God dwells in me individually, but when we come together, we are his body and, and he dwells in us corporately. We are the, the temple of God. And he says here, verse 17, if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy. Which temple are you? Now, uh, you know, which um, temple you are, excuse me. But Paul is saying that being that we are the temple of God, we are holy. Wherever God is, he, he makes, uh, he, you know, wherever he is, just like Moses, he said, Moses, take up your, your shoes off your foot. This place that you're standing is holy. Wherever God is, there's holiness that comes with it. Now, God does warn, Paul does warn that we are to not defile the temple, or that God will destroy us. Now, that's some heavy words. He will destroy. Now, this word for destroy, it's not what we think it is. It's not that now that you have done something uh, that defiled the temple, now God is going to cast you in hell. That's not what he's talking about. Again, when, when Jesus came into the temple and they were uh, exchanging and, and really doing foolish things in the temple, what did Jesus do? He did some renovation. He overturned some tables. He cast them out. What, what was he doing? He was cleansing the temple. And when you and I, we do things that are going to defile our temple or the, the body corporately, he's going to have to do some renovation, and sometimes it's going to hurt. He's going to have to tear down some walls. He have to overturn some tables. He's not going to cast you in hell, but he's going to cleanse it. Now, the scriptures talks about how we defile the temple. And there's a lot of different things in the Old Testament, and some of them refer to foods and different things. But I want to point out three things that I think that will be important for us to grasp. 
The first way that you can defile the temple, your temple, this temple, the body I'm speaking of, not the building, is through idol worship. Or worshiping false gods and worshiping gods that are not God at all. And what you find sometimes people are bringing false gods in the church, worshiping idols or American idols, if you know what I mean. You're not supposed to do that. God wants to share his stage with no one else. And so that's a way of defiling your temple. The second way is, is through sexual immorality. Now, our world is plagued with this because why? Well, you turn on the television, you cannot avoid it. Every commercial, it's sex. Every, every magazine you open is sex. They're pushing it. They're pushing it. And we have to be so careful that we don't fall into it. And how many people, and we, you, I mean, it's just not to our current times. You go back to King David. You go back to the, the men of the Bible in the Old Testament. It's, it's something that you see over and over. People fall into it. But God says when you do that, you're bringing in, as, you, as, as the Lord is, is dwelling in you, he lives in you. Now, when you bring sexual immorality into a relationship, you're bringing something that is un, unclean, something that God did not ordain, and you're bringing it into the relationship, and God said you're defiling your body. Don't do it. But thirdly, I, I believe this third way of defiling your body or defiling the temple is through pride. Now, that's something that we don't normally think of, that when you have pride in you, you're defiling the temple of God. How is that? Mark chapter 7, verse 15, Jesus said, there's nothing that enters a man from outside which can defile him, but that thing which comes out of him. What comes out of a man? Well, as a man think is, so is he. What's in the abundance of the, the heart? The mouth speaks, and oftentimes it's pride that will, well, what caused division? What caused cause fights? What caused quarrels? You want something. It's pride. You're thinking of yourself better than, uh, than others. You're thinking of yourself before you think of others. It's pride. And that's a way of defiling the temple of God. He says in verse 18, let no one deceive himself. And that's something that pride will often do. It will cause, the, uh, cause us to be deceived. We can't even see our own sin. He said, if anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of, of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he, watch, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows uh, the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world of life uh, or life or death or things present or things to come. All are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. You see, this last point that points, Paul points out about a carnal Christian is worldly wisdom going to the world for wisdom, going to the gurus and, and, and you know, don't want to use her name, but, you know, Oprah's and Dr. Phil, and, and you're going to them, and, and, and now someone is saying, well, let me share with you a word from the scripture. Yeah, I understand that, but I have this worldly advice. 
Don't be deceived. That's worldly wisdom, and it may appear good, and it sounds good, but as Paul would say, it's the word of God we need to come go back to. That's where the power is. And I've tried doing some of these worldly things, tried to memorize them. But when it comes back to it, it still comes back to the cross. It still comes back to Christ. You want your life to be changed? You want to build your life? Don't, don't go to the world for, for advice. Go to the word of God. The word of God have a way of cutting through and, and dividing and, and making you see what is true and what is not. It, it allows you to build your life on a foundation that is solid. Understand the world, the man, the, the wisdom of this world, they can't see things that, that God can see. And so while taking this step may seem, make, make sense, God will say, no, no, I want you to go this way. Why? Because he's wise. He's wiser than the wisest man. And he, he may not always follow the same pattern. A lot of times he, he gets us to go different routes because he's doing a work. He's building you up. We're not to go by feelings. A lot of times that's what we're going by. Well, this is how I feel, or, you know, and, and, and we do that. And, and it will cause brokenness. It will cause cracks in your walls. You're going to be lean, doing like the leaning tower of Pisa, you know. Your life doesn't look straight. Why? Because it's built on worldly wisdom and on feelings. Paul says, don't boast about what man you follow, what ministry you're following. Don't boast about how smart you are, what you know. Notice he said that everything is of God. Everything that man has, God has given them. So it still comes back to God. <laughs> My prayer for our church is that we will grow up. I'm not saying everyone is not grown, but I, I know we all need, have areas that we need to grow in. Some of us are lacking in certain areas. Some of us are strong. But again, we, we have to always look at ourselves and say, Lord, is there a place that I need to grow in? Am I walking around with a binky in my mouth? Am I acting like a baby? And I will say this, maybe it's time for you to grow. And you know those areas in your own life, and if you don't know, pray, the Lord, reveal it to me, because I want to grow. I want all of the spiritual things, all of the spiritual blessings that you have for me, and I know it comes when there's maturity. See, God wants to, just like Paul would say, I want to share with you deep things, but I can't do it because I'm still tippy-toeing tippy around certain issues because you can't handle it. It's time for us to say, you know what, Lord, I, give it to me. Help me to grow so I, I, I can handle it. Yes, I, I may not like it, but Lord, I know it's necessary and it's good for me, so help me to, to take it, take, take what you're giving me. You know, I will put this out here. And I'll close with this. If your life is full of cracks, if it's, if it's broken, I want, you, I want to challenge you with this. Just go to the Lord and say, Lord, is, is there, maybe I'm building on a wrong foundation. I've been walking with you for a while, maybe two years, maybe 
10 years, whatever. Uh, but if, 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 if you find that your life is just, just falling apart, it's, it's full of cracks, maybe it's the wrong foundation that you're building on. Or maybe you've been using the wrong materials. You know, one of the things, and I'll uh, throw this out there again, um, materialism is, has been one of those things that, I, well, it is, it is really idolatry in, in our country. And we, we become consumers. And boy, when a preacher talks about that, everybody gets, oh, I don't like you talking about money. And you know, one of the things that people like about our church is that we don't talk about money. Oh, I don't talk about money. When I talk about money, well, why are you talking about money? <laughs> don't talk about my money. We like to spend, and it makes us feel good. And that can be idolatry. And if that's, that's what you're building your life with, material stuff, and how much I have, and how much I can get, be very careful. And maybe it's time for you to go to the Lord and say, Lord, am I doing that? Am I putting my trust in these things? Am I building my life in these things? And if I am, Lord, forgive me. So that's the challenge I want to leave with you. And again, I, I know sometimes these studies can get a little heavy. And um, you're coming here to be built up. But understand, even when the Lord tears down some walls, it's because he wanted to do renovation to build you up, to make you strong. Amen? And so, Father, as we close this time, Lord, you do, you do want to build us up. You want to, you want to make us into a strong building, Lord, that, that even when people in this world, when they see us, when they're going through trouble, Lord, that they can run to us and that we can say, come shelter with me, for the Lord is, has done a work, and I can, I can shelter you and even start showing you the things of the Lord. And, Lord, we know that you desire to see fruit in our lives, and for some of us, Lord, our hearts, our hearts are hard. We have stones and we have weeds that need to be taken out, Lord. We, we need you to work. We need you to water our hearts, Lord, and, and allow us, Lord, to produce fruits, Lord, that glorifies you. So, Lord, you know every heart. You know every person here. You know our needs. You know our desires. You know our struggles. And I pray that you would just minister to each person wherever they are. So thank you for your word. We bless you now in Jesus' name. Amen.